All right, we'll move on to the next question, which is by Christian. Um, he wants to know the potential uh, dangers of consciousness exploration. Can we be accessed by negative entities? And what harm can come to us? Yes, there are negative entities. And uh, yes, they can affect us. Uh, for most people, it's not um, a big deal. For most people here in our culture, it's not really a big deal because there's not a whole lot of people that have a lot of uh, ability in our culture. Because in our culture, all such abilities are nonsense, you know, by definition. So uh, no, not many particularly take the effort to work on them or, or hone them or whatever. And also, if you are if you are creating, if you do work on on abilities to affect other people. And you're doing it from positive evolution. You're getting rid of your fear and getting rid of your ego and whatever. Then you will only be interacting with other people in an effort to try to be helpful, not in, you know, to, to hurt. So now that gives us to a very small percentage in our culture anyway who are trying to learn these things, but they're trying to learn them in such a way that they can have more control, power, and force over other people that they're doing this from a negative viewpoint, not from a personal growth viewpoint. Well, to begin with, such a uh, such an entity, and whether they are in a body or, or not, whether, they, whether they're part of this virtual reality or not, such an entity who is, who is uh, evolving down a negative path, okay, learning to focus their intent, but doing so out of control so that they will have you know, they can use power to manipulate. That's a very limiting process. It's self-limiting. And the reason it's self-limiting is because you're doing this with a fear because you want to have power and control and make sure nobody controls you. So it's a fear-based, ego-based uh, thing. And the fear and the ego create its own um, limitations. You just can't get but so far on a negative evolutionary path. So that's the other thing. So if it's somebody that, um, you know, even from the, from the uh, coastal Africa, the people who are doing the, the uh, abusing other people with their intents, they're using them very negatively, compared to someone who has evolved along a positive path, they really are pretty weak. They're not very strong. But they are perhaps a big fish in a very small pond. In other words, within, the, within their culture and within the people that they interact with, they may seem indeed to be very powerful. But if they were to go into a bigger pond where there were a lot of, of uh, positive evolution, they would be a small fish in that big pond. So that's what I mean by, by uh, you know, it's self-limiting it's self because the, the ego and the fear um, limits how far they can actually go with it. But now, so we know there can be a, a small fish that really turns out to be a, a big fish in a, in a very small pond. And that's typically what's, what happens when we think of negative entities doing damage to someone. Typically, the negative entity is not all that strong. But if he's dealing with a bunch of people who have no clue what's going on and uh, no ability either to protect themselves or even be aware of what's happening to them, then you have a 
you know, a negative entity that can do some, some damage. So what do you do about that? Well, one, realize that it's a very low probability. Negative entities don't generally just go around jerking people around for fun. They might, but mostly they want leverage. If they're going to jerk somebody around, they want it to be somebody that's going to help them create chaos, somebody that's going to help them, uh, um, you know, create difficulty. That's what they like doing. So if you're just an individual, you're trying to do this, or you're going out into the larger conscious system, in general, negative entities are just not interested in you. Now, if you have leverage for them, if you represent, if they can move you, then you move a bunch of others, then they may be more interested in you. If you're trying to create havoc, you don't, you know, you don't just create havoc every place you go. You look to how can you create the most havoc possible, and those are the those are the people. So let's say you happen to be uh, in a position to influence a lot of other people. Well, now you're maybe a little more likely to be a target uh, to be influenced by negative forces. So all those things taken into account, I would say in general, don't worry about it. It's not likely to happen or be that big a deal. And mostly it's not something that you can't deal with anyway because it's generally not all that powerful. Um, but yes, it can happen. And in the margins, which means down at the, you know, the three or four percent level, uh, it does happen and sometimes with, with, uh, devastating results. So it's a possibility. But going outside your house and, you know, taking a walk in a park has risks as well. Getting in your car and driving it has risks as well. So I would say the risk of having negative entities do something horrible to you that uh, ends up negatively affecting your life for more than a very short period of time is probably less than the probability of you getting mugged in the park. Probably much less than, you know, you getting in, a, in an accident, uh, a bad accident that affects your life uh, for a long time uh, while driving or riding in an automobile. So, yes, there's a risk, but I would say don't really worry too much about it. And if you want to make the risk smaller, then get rid of your ego. Get rid of your fear because a negative entity has to, again, you have to allow the energy in. And the way a negative energy, and the way a negative entity interacts with your energy is through your own fear and ego. If you don't have a fear and ego, you're a very slippery eel there. They, they have a very hard time interacting with you if that's the case. If you have lots of fear and ego, then it's very easy for them to pass energy along to you through your fear and ego. So that's how you protect yourself as you grow up. The more uh, an infant you are in the larger consciousness system, you know, the uh, more uh, risk there is. It's just like being an infant here. When you're an infant here, you know, there's all kinds of things can happen to you. And you expect other people to take care of you. There, there's nobody necessarily taking care of you. But uh, it's the same thing. The, the more ability you have and understanding and the more love that you have, then the less of a target you are. And even if you're targeted, the less that anything will, 
you know, ever brush off on you. They'll be able to get very, very little energy into your energy if you don't give them a handle, fear and ego, and belief in order to use it. Does anyone have a comment on this last subject? Thank you very much, Tom, for answering. That was that was my question. I appreciate the answer. Um, before I make a quick comment, I'm just going to butt in and, and say once again a, just a big thank you uh, to you, Tom, because your work really has been life-altering to many people. And while you may brush that off, um, you still made a very willful choice throughout your life. So thank you very much for those willful choices. Even to even after grooming your dogs or whatever, you know, coming on a Sunday, it's it's very much appreciated. So um, anyway, just a thanks. So. Back to the original question, um, that that was very helpful. Um, I think that um, so I think that as we think about exploring the larger consciousness system, I like your analogy of going outside your house and maybe going to the park, and you have a certain odd, you know, certain likelihood that maybe you're going to get mugged. Um, but I think that um, for people who aren't familiar with exploration of the larger system, it does seem like you're going out into someplace else. And so my question originally involved the term URL, and that is how concerned would we have to be for a negative entity uh, acquiring your identity and you know, just becoming aware of you, basically, so that they can seek you out? And what I heard you say is that you may not be very interesting uh, to them just because you're out in the system. Um, so I guess I'll then clarify and get more specific with my question. Is it true, then, that just wandering about the system, I know this isn't a physical system, right, so it's not like wandering out in the park, but... Uh, going out and exploring the system doesn't by itself, uh, you know, draw attention and and open you up to, to additional danger that you might not otherwise have received if you, quote, stayed here. You know, because I think that people think if you're here and you're in this physical reality, you're safe, right? But if you go out, but I, I don't, I recognize that's not how it is. I recognize that we are integrally a part of this larger system all the time. Um, but is there some kind of an additional danger element if you go out and, uh, that some being might, uh, you know, gain access to your identity. And I, and I heard everything you said about uh, the ego and uh, and your own fears and beliefs, and I, I, that's very helpful. But just wondering about that element of the question. Well, to answer it, you know, logically and precisely, I'd say yes, there is some additional uh, risk by going out, but the risk is negligible. There's risk in leaving your home. You know, there's risk in getting out of bed in the morning. You know, there's risk in staying in bed. You know, there's also a risk if you don't go out, I guess, in the sense that maybe you won't learn the things that you might learn if you do explore. If that's the path you're on, then uh, that maybe needs risks that you need to take. So life is just like that. Life is risky, and uh, you have to uh, not uh, you know, dig a hole and, and get in it thinking that that's going to lower your risk because now you've cut yourself off from a lot of risk, but also cut yourself off from a lot of learning opportunities. So everything carries risk. And going out and just exploring the larger consciousness system is a very low risk um, endeavor. And if that's the path you need in order to evolve, then not doing it is also a risk. Then you'll have to find some other path. So. Yeah, I'd say yeah, it's just just like life anywhere, you know, there's risks. You need to take risks. Thank you. That answered my question. And um, Donna, you don't need to move on to the other half of that. I think he addressed that um, very well. Okay. Thank you very much, oh. Tom. It's, it's very helpful. Okay. All right. 
we'll move on to Adam's question, a very specific one. Can you help someone with a physical substance dependency or addiction? I know you've done this in the past, um, and I know I'm working on this kind of situation with a niece of mine, and oftentimes they're shown in various ways how this addiction will affect their lives, but ultimately it is their will and their choice. How would you advise uh, Adam on this question? Well, it, it kind of depends on the individual, and do they want to uh, get rid of their uh, addiction? Um, it brings to mind a, a, an experience I had many years ago when a, a young lady I was I was talking to said that she was she really would like to quit smoking cigarettes that uh, she knew it was a bad habit uh, she didn't like the fact that she did it but she was addicted to it and uh, she uh, asked if I could help her with that. So I said, well, perhaps. So what I did is I used an intent to modify her own perceptions such that whenever she smoked a cigarette, it was very unpleasant. It would be like licking a bar of soap, you know, to, uh, to smoke a cigarette. It's a very unpleasant situation. And I didn't tell her I was going to do that. I wasn't specific about what I might do to help, and she wasn't very specific about, you know, what she thought I might do. But I ran into her about a week later, and she commented about how she was smoking less now. And I said, well, that's good. And she says, well, no, she says, it's awful. Every time I, I smoke a cigarette, it tastes horrible. I have this very, uh, you know, horrible thing going on. And I said, well, yeah, that's, I've been, that's you know, is uh, probably what I've caused you to have that. Well, I expected for her to say, Wow, it's working pretty good. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, in a while, I'll smoke like cigarettes. And Ted, she got very angry with me. Like, how dare you? You know, make my cigarettes, you know, taste so awful. So I learned that she really didn't want to quit. Her intellect wanted her to quit. Her intellect said that would be a good idea. I really shouldn't smoke these cigarettes. But at a deeper level, her addiction. Wasn't, she wasn't ready to give up that addiction. She wanted to smoke those cigarettes. She liked the high or the, the, the you know, what do you call it, uh, with drugs. You know, she liked the hit that she got when she smoked those cigarettes. And when that was taken away or made very uh, unpleasant, it annoyed her. So first, first thing is, uh, if the person doesn't really want to quit, then you're trying to roll a, you know, a heavy rock uphill. Or it would be better to do something like um, talk with them, counsel with them, and help them change that attitude so that they really do want to quit. And if you can get them to change that attitude to where they really do want to quit, then it is so much easier to actually help them quit because then you're working with them rather than working against them. I thought I was working with this lady, and as it turned out, I was working against her. She wanted that hit of nicotine, and I was making it very unpleasant for her. So, yes, you can affect the way people view things. You can affect attitudes. You can uh, affect the way they see it. But if you go in with the idea that you're going to manipulate someone to see something differently, in other words, I know, um, I 
know how you should be, so I'm going to manipulate you to be the way I, I know is best for you, that generally won't work and is likely to backfire. Again, it's like uh, you know, the girl who thinks that she's a victim. If you go in and say, well, you know, you just believe you're a victim and that's what your problem is. It's, you know, it's all you and, and this perception of yours. That doesn't help. That's just now she's even a bigger victim because people are making her a victim about being a victim, you see. So it doesn't help to manipulate. So when I say when you go in and you can change the way people think about things, I don't mean that you go in and manipulate. I mean you go in and you have you have a conversation. You always do it from the direction of being helpful to them, helping them see a bigger picture, helping them understand something that maybe they're missing, not manipulating them to be the way you want. See, there's a big difference. So, yes, um, you you can help an addict by helping them see the downside of that addiction, to help them see what's, you know, what they're getting and what they're giving up for it by making them become more aware. I shouldn't say making them. You're just giving them opportunity to become more aware. You're not really forcing them to do anything. It has to be their choice. So it has to be presented in a way that they agree with you, that they see that and say, oh, I see that. I see that that's a problem. If all you do is try to manipulate, they will rebel. They'll go the other way. They will have the sense that something is trying to push or pull at them, and they'll resist it. Beings just do that. It doesn't have to be intellectual. If your dog is standing next to you and you reach up and push your dog sideways, like push on his backside or on his ribcage, just push him, he will resist. The dog doesn't think, oh, my master wants me to, to move over. He says, something's pushing on me, I'll push back. And that happens at the the, uh, mental level, at the intuitive level as well. So if you go to manipulate somebody, you'll probably just make the problem worse. If you try to help them see something, but they have to see it, they have to take it, they have to grab hold of it. So you need to present it in such a way that it's attractive to them. In other words, you have to be helpful to them, not try to push or manipulate them. And if you do that, cleverly enough, that you present them with just the information that they might need at a time that they can reach out and grab it and absorb it, then you can you can help an addict see what they have to do next and give them the courage and the energy to actually do it, help them uh, accomplish it. So when the withdrawals get to be annoying, you can help them be strong to deal with that. You know, basically, you're like the cheering, you know, the cheering club in the, in the background and keep them focused on what they're doing rather than focused on, on uh, their, their wants. So, yes, you can be effective with addicts in that way, but... Uh, Never try to manipulate people, even when you 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 have this, this feeling that you know where they have to go and what they have to do. Of course, their life would be better if they weren't drug addicts or alcoholics or you know smokers or you know on um, cocaine or heroin or something like that. You can see how it's destroying their life, and certainly you think they can see how it's destroying their life. Well, they probably can, but they probably don't want to see that. 
that's uh, that's a part of this experience that they hide, that they uh, refuse to look at. And if you force them to look at it, you're basically grabbing the you know grabbing the puppy and rubbing his nose in the poop. You're grabbing that person and forcing them to look at things that they don't want to see, and you think that's going to help them. All it does is make them depressed. And then when they're depressed, what do they do? They go more into their into their drug because that's how they deal with depression. That's how they deal with anxiety is to take the drugs, which makes them forget all that stuff. So by forcing them to, to look and see at what they don't want to look and see, you're just pushing them more toward the drug rather than pushing them away from it. So you see, when you go in with the wrong idea, you're likely to cause more harm than good. But if you go in to help them learn and grow, help them reach out and take the information, they have to be willing to do that. So if you have a person that really doesn't want to quit, that really does, you know, is where they want to be, that they can't stand reality the way it is, they need to uh, wash it away with the drug, then begin to help them by making that reality more positive, not by actually dealing with them as addicts, and no, being addicts bad, being, uh, you know, having a, having a, uh, a worldview that you're a, that you're a victim is bad, help them see it from a different viewpoint, help them gain a different reality. So let the addiction take care of itself. If they can find something worth being clear for rather than being uh, blotto to, to erase, then that will help them move in that direction. So you have to think about what you're doing and how you're interacting with people. The idea of just manipulating people to be the way you want them will usually make everything worse. Okay, I see that Adam stepped away, so I don't know if he had any. Adam, do you have anything to add? No, no, I was here. I just no, that was that was wonderful. Uh, that was really really helpful. Thank you very much. Okay, our next our next question comes from Justin. Um, Justin, would you like to ask the question yourself? I have it kind of paraphrased here. Uh, sure, it doesn't matter. I can I can read it. I, I tried to I tried to shorten it as much as I could to make it clear. Okay. So I'll give the first version a shot. So the question is, in terms of our current PMR personality, how much of that personality are we experiencing or playing as opposed to expressing? I'm not sure I understand what you mean by the difference between uh, expressing and playing. Okay, let me, I wrote a second version of it, just so we'll see if that one makes sense. Uh, or stated differently, how much of a piece... ...and wobble in it, so uh, yeah, speak slowly and clearly, and I can probably make it out. Okay, sure. Uh, stated differently, how much of a PMR personality is based on the quality of the IUOC as opposed to being based on the unique limitations of the avatar being played? Ah, uh, okay. Most of it is going to be of the, of the personality, particularly the quality of that personality. Most of that is going to be based on the quality of the IUOC. In other words, that's you're expressing what you are 
as consciousness. Now, that's most of the time. Okay, there can be um, circumstances where the well, let's just take something uh, something real uh, uh, obvious, where the, you have brain damage. If you have brain damage, maybe you're in an accident or you get hit with something or um, some sort of disease and you have brain damage. Now that that um, the rule set looks at that brain damage and calculates constraints on the consciousness, the IUOC. There's things now that that consciousness can't do, things that they can't express. But now let's say that this consciousness is one that is very highly evolved. Let's say this consciousness has a very high quality, and suddenly it has some sort of brain damage. Okay, now it may be paralyzed. It may be, um, well, let's just take paralyzed. Let's say now it's a quadriplegic. It's uh, damaged the central nervous system so that it can't move, you know, arms, uh, legs, anything. All it can do maybe is move its, its head or maybe not even that. If it was a high quality of consciousness, it deals with that in such a way that it learns from it, it accepts it, and then continues to grow from the from the lessons that you can get from being in that position. Okay, so it accepts that and goes. Now let's say it's a very low quality of consciousness. Now the low quality of consciousness feels very sorry for itself, lots of self-pity. It blames other people for what happened to it. If it hadn't been for so and so, I wouldn't have been there, and that wouldn't have happened to me. And you know, etc. If the rescue squad had gotten there sooner, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been like this. And they're looking for everybody else uh, to blame it on. Lots of self-pity, and they become a very miserable, unhappy person. And because of that, people don't like to be around them very much. So they don't even get many visitors. So they don't even get taken care of very well. And that makes them even more unhappy, and more miserable, and more abusive. So then it goes the other way. So even though you have things that um, limit you because the avatar is, is uh, configured in some way, whether it's brain chemistry or you know, some other kind of thing, uh, a good quality of consciousness can benefit from whatever that situation is, as long as there's enough of the, of the brain left to allow the consciousness to express itself in the virtual reality. You see, then there's still interaction, and if there's interaction, then there's still things that you can that you can learn, still ways that you can give, still uh, something that you can do, even if you can't do very much. So I'd say it depends. Generally, the the, the form factor we might call the the uh, what's happening in the virtual reality um, just creates different constraints. And the quality of the consciousness will express itself within those constraints. Now, you can have a brain chemistry that, say, makes a person more, um, let's say there's chemicals in the, in the central nervous system that tend to uh, make somebody be constantly in the, in the fight or flight mode. So there's, there's just high anxiety there. Well, you can take that high anxiety, and if you're a low consciousness system, then you're very, uh, um, you know, you may be very uh, unfriendly with that. You may blame people constantly for, for things uh, 
if you are a high quality of consciousness, you may have to learn to deal with that constant anxiety and not let it affect how you interact with other people. Somehow turn that into an advantage for you, just as Viktor Frankl turned, uh, you know, the uh, very terrible treatment he got in, as a prisoner of war uh, into an advantage where he learned and grew from the experience. So the, the state of the consciousness is the fundamental thing. The state of the, of the uh, virtual avatar changes the situation in which the consciousness can interact. So that's, so it's, that's the combination, if you see what I mean. So generally a consciousness can, can do all right and learn in any situation that each constraint just changes how it has to go about doing that. And a consciousness of very low quality can be miserable and unhappy and, uh, and feel sorry for itself no matter how good the situation is. So the quality of the consciousness is the key thing. The constraints provided by the uh, IUOC can be challenging, can be very challenging, no doubt. But uh, a good quality of consciousness can, can uh, grow to deal with those constraints in as positive a way as possible. Does that help? Uh, am I... Am I getting uh, the question right? Justin, are, are you are you satisfied with that answer? Okay, sorry, I was muted. Yeah, that was perfect, Tom. Thank you. Good. Uh, just to make sure I, I understand what you're saying, would a good analogy be that using the video game analogy? that if there's someone that's a really good player at that specific game, which in this case would equate to someone that has a high quality of consciousness, they can play any of the type of characters in the game and still have uh, reasonable success because they understand the game and they're aware of the fact that they're struggling with each different type of character, whereas someone that's not so good at the game, or in this example, someone with a low quality of consciousness, they might have a little more struggle with, you know, a character that goes a little slowly or can't jump as high, is that is that comparable to what you're yes. saying? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, if you have a, you know, all the characters that are that are uh, in a in one of those video games, they all have capabilities, things that they can do. You know, it's not like some characters are are uh, you know comatose and, and can't do anything. They all have some things. And if you are a very good player. And for some reason, you just get one of those. Well, you'll make the most of it. The challenge will become, what can I do? You know, how far can I progress in my game with this character? And that will become a challenge for you to do that. Whereas if you are a poor player and you get a poor character, you complain. Oh, no, my character won't do this. My character won't do that. Rather than taking it as a challenge and learning what you can from how to you know, how to succeed under difficult circumstances, you take it as an opportunity to complain about how, uh, you know, things just don't work out for you and you always draw the short straw, et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. Thank you very much. That was great. Okay, our next set of questions involves nudges by the larger consciousness system. There's three three questions that are 
in this similar category. Dagda, you had one. Would you like to read your question? I don't have it in front of me. Um, you go ahead and read it. I'm sure you can see it there. Okay, I, I will. Um, it has been said on the forum that if you think you have been nudged by the larger consciousness system to help someone, that this is in fact you responding egoically to an interaction with another. Is this true? Additionally, if the someone you're dealing with is highly strong, neurotic, and in constant state of anxiety and worry, you cannot really help anyone except yourself. Um, what should you do in this case? Well, it's not as simple and straightforward. What the question uh, kind of indicates uh, a scenario that's that's very black and white, and that is we'll start with the with the first thing. Uh, if you think you've been nudged by the consciousness system to help somebody, you know, then you it's probably just your ego. Well, that depends. It may be, or it may not be. You know, if we talk about people who are not very grown, let's just talk about the average person walking around out there that has no idea um, about larger consciousness systems or anything else. You know, they're just kind of stumbling through life with clueless, okay? And they have a lot of fear and they have a lot of ego and that's just your, your average person, okay? Now... If they get a if they get an idea that oh I need to help this person I need to help this lady uh, get over her uh, her uh, you know victim complex or I need to help this person get over their addiction or I need to do this it's a pretty good chance that that's their ego talking they feel that they know what this person needs and that they can instruct them or help them in some way and it's very likely coming from their ego All right so that could be that way. On the other hand, let's talk about somebody who has a pretty high quality of consciousness. They may be very much aware when they're getting nudged. They, when they run into synchronicities, they're aware this is a synchronicity. The system's trying to set them up to learn something here, and they may then become much more aware of, well, what do I need to learn? What is it? What's the right choice here? They are aware of that. In that case, it may not at all be their ego. It may just be that they are an aware person. They kind of get a nudge that out of the blue something happens or they suddenly get dropped in a situation rather than saying, oh, man, that really sucks getting in this situation like this. They would instead say, well, I'm probably in this situation because there's a lesson here for me. There's probably something that I can do, maybe someone I can help, maybe some way that uh, I can make a a good decision that will help my own evolution, and they start looking around for where can they be of service. You see, now that's not somebody just dealing from their ego, but that's somebody who's dealing from a, a larger awareness. So the answer is that it can be all of the above. It depends on who, with what intent, you know, is doing what. So if you want to say, well, on the average, if you just randomly, you know, pick somebody, you know, off the street that had this sense. Yes, probably would be their ego. On the other hand, it doesn't have to be. It depends on the individual. Okay, if you, uh, if you want to come to service about whether it was your ego or not, that was, you know, probably you to go ahead and, and help that. How would you discern? How would you be able to tell? 
I had a real time, real hard time hearing that. Uh, did somebody hear that clearly and can? How would you discern the difference between whether it was your ego and whether it was something um, of a higher nature? Well, the way you would discern it would be, you know, it's very, it's, let's just put it this way, it's very difficult to discern it. If you're a grown person, if you have a high quality of consciousness, then it's reasonably easy to discern because you would be grown up enough to realize that what you're trying, you know, in all situations, you're trying to be helpful. You're trying to do things that are helpful. And that doesn't mean explaining to other people why they're wrong and what they should be doing. You know, that's not helpful. You've, you've outgrown that. Whereas if you are not very grown, then you're not going to be able to determine whether that's your ego or not. You know, it's outside of your knowledge. You'll have no way of knowing whatsoever. So the way that you can tell is to grow up enough that those things become obvious to you. What are you doing? Are you uh, explaining to somebody else how they ought to live their life? Or are you acting in a way that will help somebody live their life better? You see, what are you, how are you doing it? Is it concern about them or is it about you? If it's about you, it's, well, I know what they should do. Uh, and they don't, obviously. I'll help them out. You see, that's not really so much about them as it is you coming to the aid and making them be the way you think they ought to be. So it, just look at your intent. Look at what your motivation is. Why am I, why am I helping? What am I doing? And if you are being in such a way that you become part of the solution for other people, then that's good. If you are being in such a way that you are manipulating or otherwise you know, pushing or bullying or, or uh, somehow uh, you know, not helping them make their own better decisions, but rather trying to make decisions for them. In other words, you're trying to overwhelm their uh, um, free choice by taking their free choice away and putting what you would choose in its place, okay, then you're, that's just your ego. So you have to be aware to know which is which, and you have to be capable of looking at your intent and your motivation and what you're doing and how you're doing it in order to assess, you know, whether that's ego or whether it's not. And sometimes this may be very difficult. It may not always be obvious. And, you know, I said that if you were very grown, it would mostly be obvious. And you were very not grown, it would be totally opaque. But if you're somewhere in between, then the answer of how good you're going to be at knowing the difference is somewhere in between. You know, you, uh, you may not always know, and you may try or think you know, and you may make mistakes, but that's part of growing up. You don't start from being a high entropy being, and then, you know, you wake up the next morning, and now you're a low entropy being. You pass through gradual stages where your growth accumulates little bit by little bit, and these things that are not obvious at all become sort of obvious a little some of the time, and then they become more obvious, you know, more of the time, and then they become obvious most of the time. But most of us are in this, this gray area. We're not white. We're not black. 
And sometimes we're really good at understanding what we're doing and why we're doing it. And sometimes, particularly if we're emotionally involved, we're not so good at it. So, you know, I would say do your best to be honest and look at your motivations. Why are you doing it? What are you doing? And how much help are you really being? Is, is that good, Doctor? Did you have another comment? No, that's good for me. Thank you so much. Yeah, All you know, right. one last thing when I said, how good are you really being? That's taking a real good assessment of what has been the result of your interaction. If you, you know, if you have this interaction, let's say that, you know, you try to help somebody get over a fear, so you explain to them why their fear is silly, and it turns out that, you know, all you do is make them angry, then you look at that and you can say, well, I tried, and it was all about them, I just wanted to help them with their fear, but it didn't work, it didn't seem to be helpful, now they're angry. Well, not my fault, you know, it's their problem, I guess I, you know, my help uh, wasn't, wasn't enough, maybe I should try harder, maybe I didn't really convince them how silly they were, I should tell them again. You see, if you have, if you look at it and say, well, how helpful have I been? Is everything better now? Do they understand now? Not just that I'm replacing their free will with mine, I'm making decisions for them, but have I made them better? Are they actually in a better situation? Not just acting better or better behavior, but are they better? Am I really helping here? And if the answer is no, then you need to stop. You need to say, well, what else can I do? And sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. Sometimes there isn't much you can do to help. Now, if a person doesn't want to be helped, it's very difficult to help them grow up if growing up is not what they want to do. And then you may just have to let them do in their own pot until they get more ready to grow up. But look at what you're doing, and if it's not working, and your reaction is to blame it on the person for not, uh, you know, for not getting better because you helped them, that's, you know, that would be a problem. I, I'd be very skeptical if um, their answer is, well, I told them what they needed to know and they didn't do it, so, you know, it's their problem, their fault. No, if you're trying to help them, then you need to be in whatever way you need to be to help them help themselves. Not to push them in the right direction, but to help them help themselves. And if you're not doing that, then you're probably working from your ego and you're not really being very effective. Okay, along the, net, uh, along the lines of um, the same subject, nudges by the larger consciousness system, uh, question from Cohen and one from Polly. From Cohen, how do you distinguish, how do you distinguish something imagined from something that comes from MPMR? And from Polly, how many thoughts and ideas are really my own? <laughs> well, how do you distinguish something that's coming, you know, something that's outside of you? Let's say it, it comes from a source outside of you as opposed to a source inside of you. That's a, a very standard uh, problem that people have when they're first trying to perceive and interact in a larger consciousness system. They want to know, is this my imagination or is this outside of me? You know, is it real or is it me? 
Yeah, well, first of all, that's not a real good question because you are real. You know, is it real or is it me? It's not necessarily the right question. It may be you and still may be very helpful. Um, but still, is it outside of me or is it inside of me? You will only learn this with experience. And the thing that makes the experience of the larger consciousness system the most problematical, the most difficult for people is that they they ask this question. They want to make a judgment on how real it is. Was that real? Was that my imagination? Before they have enough data to really make that choice. That's the big problem. So the, a person tries for the first time to go have a conversation with somebody in a non-physical, and they get this sense of a communication, and their immediate their immediate response is to make a judgment of whether that was real or not. Well, they don't have any way to make that judgment intelligently, but that's what we do. Why? Because we tend to want to believe. We are not in a mode of, of um, open-minded skepticism. We're in a mode of, should I believe that or should I not believe that? So they hear a, they kind of hear something. They get a, a message, if you will. They get something and immediately they want to know, should I believe it? Can I believe that or can I you know, discard that? Is it me or is it somebody else? If you give up this idea about wanting to know whether you should believe it or not, then it's easier to wait until you have enough data to make that assessment. And I'd say for most people, that means interact with the same being 10 times, 20 times, 100 times over, you know, three months or six months and to where you have, you know, you're good friends with that being. Now, if you've interacted with them that much, you have that much data to go on, it's pretty trivial to decide, is there information there that's outside of me? Am I getting opinions and ideas and things from which I really have, you know, you know I don't, uh, that kind of stuff's not in my mind or not. And if you can't tell, if it's not clear to you, then I'd say take more data. But the more important thing to do is to, not to decide whether it's inside or outside information. The, clear, the more important thing to do is decide, is it useful information? Is this information I'm getting helping me understand a bigger picture? Is it helping me grow up? Is it challenging me to uh, you know, let go of my ego and fear? And if the answer is no, it's not, well, what difference does it make where it comes from? whether it's inside or outside. And if the answer is yes, it is helping me grow up, what difference does it make where it's coming from? In other words, the, the question shouldn't be, should I believe it, but what value is it? And you, sh you may want to ask, should I, you know, should I trust it? Or, or you know, they're, at, they're telling you kind of bizarre information. Oh, you should get out of your house and run, you know, and oh, should I, should I do that or not? Well, that will take time. Just, you know, if you want to go do it, maybe you should, you know, jump out of your, you know, your bed and go run out of the house and see what happens. If you then feel like a fool afterward, then the next time I'd say uh, you'd probably uh, be a little more cautious about taking that, that kind of information. One of the things that can, can kind of bite you unexpectedly, some unintended consequences, is that if you start talking to entities and you get to where 
you realize that they're really giving you some very important and very good information. You get to the point that you depend on them. Oh, you can't make a move without consulting first, you know, and uh, getting their opinion. Basically, what you're doing is giving up your free will to them. You're letting them make the decisions for you and make your choices for you. You become dependent. That's not a good thing. And what will happen is that the larger consciousness system will give you some very bad information from that source that you trust and you can't make a move without it that will cause you difficulty just to knock you out of this habit of, of um, kind of believing whatever they tell you. You see? So even if you have a good source, if you don't treat it with skepticism, if you just say, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's my uh, whatever, and I'll, uh, I always do what they say, and, and I believe whatever they tell me, and so on, because they're so much smarter than I am, um, you're liable to get some misinformation that will slam you so that you will learn you need to take charge and be at the source of your own free will making choices. You can't give that up for some, something else that you believe is smarter and better at it than you are. That's a little off the subject, but uh, that's a freebie. I just thought I'd throw that in. Are there, there are more parts to this that I haven't gotten to yet? Um, yes. Well, I think they're related. Um, the, the two questions were, um, you know, are all of these impressions from NPR mine? Um, how many, you know, thoughts and ideas are really my own? And how do you distinguish those? Well, yeah, that's similar to what I just said. That you don't, uh, you know, if they're yours or not, where do they come from? You don't know. See, consciousness is just information, and you can create information. We call that imagination. You know, if you if you create it, and it can come from outside of you. And in either case, it's just information, and you get it, and you process it, and you interpret it, and uh, there's really no difference that you can perceive that um, lets you know where the data is coming from, in that sense, whether you've made it up or not. For the most part, um, you just have to work that out from the content and from experience. So there is no way that I can tell you, particularly as a beginner, that you can, you know, all the ideas that come to me from myself, you know, all uh, have, you know, a little, you know, flash of red light goes with them or something. It doesn't work like that. There's no... There's no way you can really tell them apart. And the point is, are they useful? Um, telling them apart is not that necessary. Are they useful is more important than trying to separate who. The, the separating where is it coming from is usually um, the result of a belief or result of a, an idea that you want to believe how credible they are. And believing how credible they are is the wrong way to go. It's just as it's credible if it's useful, but that doesn't necessarily mean it'll always be useful. Um, it, um, you know, I would say say skeptical of everything, and uh, and use what you can use. Be skeptical of it. Uh, the stuff that uh, becomes more credible to you. Well, okay, it's more credible now, but Will it always be that way? You don't know. And if you make it so credible that you rely on it, 
you can almost guarantee that eventually you'll get some bogus information because you need to make your own decisions. So it's not it's not that the problem of of you know where is it coming from is really for the most part the wrong problem. You don't really want to put a lot of effort into solving that because it's not really that important where it comes from. What can you do with it is much more important. Is it valuable? And trying to make that decision based on belief, well, I, you know, I believe I can trust that source, um, is probably not a good idea either. I say be open-minded about all the information you get. Doesn't really matter too much where it's coming from and uh, be, be skeptical about whether it's going to be good information or not. Uh, my, my question was more directed uh, to the, let's say, waking life, uh, where I have uh, sometimes, uh, let's say, those synchronicities uh, based on some ideas or some nudges, as Donna very eloquently put it. And uh, basically, I was just uh, trying to get your impression or your idea of, uh, let's say, how is it, uh, do we have most of the time some kind of nudges uh, which uh, try to point us into the right direction and do we normally ignore them or is it something like just 10% of ideas, maybe nudges uh, from the larger consciousness system? Is there some estimation or? Yeah, well, most of the time, depends on, again, where you are. If you are, uh, you know, have a reasonably high quality consciousness, then you're probably very aware of the nudges you get. And you'll have a sense of, of uh, that is helpful or not. So in my case, I get nudges of things that I should do. I almost always do them. If it comes to me that uh, I really need to save my, you know, my computer file now, um, and I just get that as a, as a thing that jumps into my mind, I go save right then. Because I found that if I say, well, I'm busy now, just a few more minutes, uh, usually something will happen and I'll lose the file. That's I get those nudges because I need them. I've learned to accept them and act on them. But I don't do it slavishly. Uh, I take each one. If, you know, if I'm uh, walking down the street and so suddenly I hear in my mind, duck, I'll probably duck and then see if there isn't something that's whizzing overhead uh, before I stand back up again. Because I've just learned that I get information and it's almost always useful. And I hardly ever get information that's not. But sometimes, you know, you will get in, if you get too complacent about that or too confident with it to where you feel, well, I can, I can just kind of go anywhere anytime because of something I need something or I get some information. And if I'm going to need to duck, somebody will tell me. So I don't really have to pay any attention to what's going on because I'll be told. That's when you'll get hit and nobody will tell you to duck because that's not good. Now you're relying on somebody else to do what you should be doing. So depends on the situation. I would say you wouldn't be here if you were a, you know, a complete beginner because you've gone through the process of getting interested in this material, thinking about it, uh, trying to grow up, becoming aware of it. I'd say when you get nudges like that, you should uh, pay attention to them and in general do them, but don't become dependent on them. Um, sometimes if you have a particular 
thing you're supposed to be doing where you need a lot of nudges. Let's say you've got a, a mission. You're here to accomplish something. And the only way that you're going to get in the right place at the right time is that you follow these nudges. If you're in that kind of a situation, the larger consciousness system, before you get to where you have to make the important choices, they will help you, they will help teach you to pay attention to those urges. And you'll get all kinds of little situations which will, you know, duck now, you know, do this, don't do that, and you'll get all these things and you'll learn to follow them and they will work out good for you because they're trying to train you to follow the nudges because someday the nudges are going to be really important to get you to where you need to be at the right time and you have to not be, um, you know, a thick-headed uh, person who's not paying attention at that time. So some people will get more of this than others. You may get it to where it happens 10 times a day and others maybe it happens, you know, 10 times a year. Just take it as it comes.